Good to see you this morning, to be able to spend this time of worship with you. It is a blessing, blessing for us to be here, to be together, to worship the King together. We think about the attributes of God. There's lots of things that we could talk about and lots of attributes that we could spend time in dealing with. But one of the things that is absolutely sure is that in each of God's attributes, they are absolute. What we talk about is power, how his power is absolute, or his presence is absolute. Or we talk about his knowledge, his knowledge is absolute. There are no holes, there are no limitations, there are no weaknesses. When we talk about his love, his love is absolute. When we talk about those attributes, we do so in that absolute kind of way. That means that there are no shortcomings. There, there are no almost, there are no le- anything left short of absolute. And so this morning, we're going to talk about another attribute of God, one that we don't spend a lot of time in dealing with, but one the scriptures talk about a lot. We're going to talk about it, what it is. We're going to kind of define it. We're going to work through it a little bit about what the scriptures say about it. And then we're going to make two very, very simple application points this morning. Nothing fancy today, nothing fancy, but I promise you, if you could stay open to the applications that are there, it can be profound in your service to God. And so we're going to spend some time this morning in talking about the holiness of God, the holiness of God. So when we think about the idea of holiness, the the idea behind really both the word and the concept is separation. That is the idea about what holiness is. It is whether it's talking about God and his holiness, whether it's talking about man to be holy or called to be holy. It is about separation. I mean, the word itself is defined that way. If you just were to define the word, it means to separate or to cut off. Now, when we think about God and his holiness, I already told you this morning, we're not going to get fancy with our ideas and our concepts today. When we think about God and his holiness, the very first thing that has to come into our mind is that when we consider God, when we consider his holiness, the idea is that God is holy. That means he is separate or he is cut off from evil in an absolute kind of way. You have 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, where John will define God in a way calling him light. God is light. And to help us with this idea of absolute, to help us with this idea of separation, he goes on. He doesn't just say God is light, but he reiterates so that we understand. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And then another tiny step at all. And so John, as defining God, wants us to understand this idea of his holiness. That he isn't mostly light, that he isn't mostly light or close to darkness. He is light and there is no darkness in him, no darkness in him at all. 
And so for us this morning, I I want you to put that in the very front of your mind because we're going to continually come back to that idea. That God's holiness tells us that he is separate or he is cut off from evil. Now God himself throughout scripture will talk about his holiness. He'll reference his own holiness to his people. He he regularly pointed it out to his people. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of that. In Exodus chapter 3, in Exodus chapter 3, uh, the story is te- there at the very kind of outset of Moses, and, and we're at the very beginning of his story, and God is calling Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, and he does so from the midst of a burning bush. And Moses sees off in the distance, he sees a bush that's on fire, but yet not burning up, and so he goes to investigate, and God calls to him out of the bush. But look at what God says about himself. He says, then he said, that's God, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now listen to Moses. And Moses, see what he does. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, he's afraid to look upon God. He hides his face based upon what God describes as his holiness. This space here is holy ground. We need to be cognizant of that. A couple of other examples of that. In Exodus chapter 15, in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11, there's a great uh, question raised here. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Even in the sacrificial system in the book of Leviticus, God's holiness is referenced. In Leviticus chapter 11, beginning of verse 44, it says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping things that creep on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. And so here in the point of sanctification, the idea of sacrifice, you've got to be sanctified. You cannot be defiled in any way and approach me because I am holy. You need to be holy. For I am holy. And so you have this incredible idea about God and his holiness. He is absolute. He can only do what is good and true. Now I want us to take that one more step. Because of God's absolute goodness, remember his holiness, he is is completely separate or cut off from evil or from wickedness. And so because of that, he can only do good. He can only be trusted. He can only tell the truth. He cannot tell a lie. He cannot do that because of his holiness. He cannot do anything wicked because of his holiness. He always does what is good. He always tells the truth because he is absolutely pure. It is impossible for him to lie. He can be unquestioningly trusted. So there's an interesting passage we're going to spend some time on. Two passages, actually. 
We sang the song just a moment ago that Kel led us in, holy, 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 and then you are holy. It's an interesting phrase, holy, 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 that threefold phraseology that's used there. It actually occurs two times in Scripture, once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. In Isaiah chapter 6, where our scripture reading was that Dennis read for us, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah standing or envisioning the throne, being shown the throne of God, and there you see this phrase. But this phrase also occurs in Revelation chapter 4. So let's flip over there together. Trying to keep in your mind Isaiah chapter 6. But in Revelation chapter 4, listen to this picture that's shown to us, given to us by John, and what he sees in the throne room of heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, And one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. And the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. And the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Both times, in Isaiah and in the book of Revelation, both times this phrase is uttered, it's uttered by heavenly creatures. Both times it is given as it occurs in a vision seen at the very throne of God. But what's interesting is this threefold phrase. In Jewish history, this phrase was often used, this tactic was often used, a threefold repetition. And the idea is intensity, intensity. This threefold phrase of repetition carries an intensity. It carries passion. 
want to give you a couple other examples of this same type of phraseology being used that will kind of help us to understand that. In Jeremiah chapter 22, as the prophet is writing in Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 9, uh, and uh, is that right, 22, 22, Jeremiah, am I in the right spot here? right look and I don't have anything to do about it not only is it not right here on my keynote presentation guess what it ain't right here in my notes so I don't know what I don't know what I was looking let's check Ezekiel maybe Ezekiel is right somewhere in the book of Jeremiah somewhere somewhere in the book of Jeremiah you'll find that three-fold phrase used. somewhere in there you can uh, look for that tonight in your spare time Ezekiel chapter 21. Oh, here we go. Ezekiel, this, is, this one's right. Ezekiel chapter 21. Look, beginning of verse 26. Thus says the Lord God, Remove the turban, take off the crown, nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the humble and humble the exalted. 27, look. Overthrown, overthrown. I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him. Here is that example that we're talking about. Three times, right in a row, the same thing uttered. One, two, three, and done so to show the intensity of the message, the passion of the message. I'm nervous about turning to 2 Samuel chapter 8, 18. Let's give it a go. 2 Samuel chapter 18 possibly is another example of this my confidence level now is way down so we'll see if we can bring it back up second Samuel chapter 18 <laughs> I mean what is going on I mean they didn't even have thir- oh here we go I mean I'm telling you I'm broken up here I feel like just starting over can we just can we start over all right, Second Samuel chapter 18, verse 33. Here we go. The king was deeply moved. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Uh, again, you have this threefold repetition. And the idea behind that, uh, even though I've botched a lot of it, we'll try to bring ourselves back. The idea behind it, and we certainly can see it in both of the passages that were right, in Ezekiel and there in Second Samuel, when this threefold phrase was uttered, it, it carries with it an intensity. It carries with it passion. And so when we see this same thing uttered in the book of Isaiah in chapter 6, and we see it in Revelation chapter 4, when they are decrying the holiness of God, they are doing so with an intensity, with incredible passion. I mean, think about the scene itself as it unfolds. Isaiah, as he describes the scene that he sees there in Isaiah chapter 6, his reaction to the holiness of God was his awareness of his own weaknesses and sin. 
He comes face to face with the holiness of God and his reaction is his own shortcomings. Even there in Isaiah chapter 6, the seraphim who are uttering holy, holy, holy to God cover their faces and cover their feet as they do so. And I read a passage like that. And I read and see a reaction like that. Even, not not just necessarily from Isaiah, even though there's a point to be made there, but even the heavenly creatures, as they react in the way that they react, coming face to face with the holiness of God. So if the heavenly creatures react in this way, in the midst of God's holiness, what about you and me? You see, when we consider God's holiness, there are two reactions that I want us to spend some time thinking about. I, I said at the, at the outset, there are two simple applications. I want you to be open to each and every one of them. And the first is this, God's holiness, because of what it is, it demands that sinners are separated from him. It has to be that way. It has to be that way because God is holy. Because God is holy and his holiness is absolute, sinners must be separated from him. We've made reference multiple times to the book of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 59, in that text, in Isaiah chapter 59, as Isaiah kind of demonstrates in a lot of ways what sin is and how sin operates, but also tells us what sin does. In Isaiah chapter 59, beginning in verse 1, the point is made, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear, But your iniquities, he says in verse 2, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. Why is that? Because of God's holiness. The, The psalmist will say it in a little bit more poetic kind of way, but pretty straightforward in Psalm 66 and Psalm 66 and verse 18. Psalm 66 and verse 18, the psalmist will say, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Why? Because God's holiness. Now, I want us to think about the simple application of that verse. The simple application is, in order to have a relationship with God, there must be no sin in my life. I cannot maintain sin, even the tiniest of bits. I cannot maintain sin in my life and at the same time maintain a relationship with God. Why? Because of God's holiness. Remember, God's holiness is absolute. God's holiness is light, and in him there is no darkness. And so if I'm coming to him and I'm bringing even the slightest bit of darkness. He cannot be around that. 
Now, I think that is very easy for us to say. It's very easy for us to see. We read Isaiah 59 and verse 2. We read Psalm 66 and verse 18. Both very simple, very straightforward passages. And it's easy for me to stand up here and say, listen, God, he can't have anything to do with sin. And so if you want to have a relationship, you can't have any sin in your life. It's very easy for me to say that. And it's very easy for you to sit out there and to hear that and to shake your head, and to say amen to that. It is something intellectually we all know and I think we would agree with. But then in application, we oftentimes live as if a little bit of sin has to be okay. Or we live, maybe more so, less sin than that guy, or less sin than those people has to be okay. We live in a world surrounded by wickedness. We live in a world surrounded by wicked people. And there is an incredible temptation to walk this, in this world with the mindset of, I must be just better than other folk. We convince ourselves, mostly righteous is all the way righteous. Or we convince ourselves, mostly good is what God is looking for. That mindset spits in the face of his holiness. Our mindset should be in order for me to have a relationship with God... I cannot have a relationship with sin. I cannot have even the smallest relationship with sin. And so what's the application of that? Well, the application of that is if you are living right now and you have convinced yourself that you can have a relationship with God at the same time carry sin as well, even if it's a little bit, if you have convinced yourself of that, you have convinced yourself of a lie you're fooled by the world in thinking that way because of God's holiness it demands that sinners are separated from him and so the application piece is if I have sin in my life what's needed is repentance that's what's needed in order to have a relationship with God repentance is what's needed that's what's needed and so listen, we can stand up here and say, well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a point that preachers make all the time. And, and yeah, it is. And it, and it won't be the last time I make a point similar to that one. And I won't speak for John, but I, I, I will. I, I feel confident I can in this moment that there's probably a time coming that John will make that point. But it has to be something we get. But why is that? It's because of his holiness that that's the case. Let's meditate upon that. Secondly, and finally, God's holiness demands that we approach him with reverence and praise. Demands that. Psalm 29, in Psalm 29, uh, beginning in verse 1, 
Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Think about Isaiah and his reaction of being in the presence of a holy God. Think about the heavenly creatures and beings in Revelation chapter 4. As they are praising God, and John helps us to understand, they do so day and night, praising God, praising the holy God. We think about that. And what I like about this passage here in Psalm 29 is this idea is of verse 2, give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. We sing the song, You Are Holy. I ask Kale to lead both of those songs. And I like that You Are Holy song because it really points us to the idea of God is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. Now, the easy application point is even today. As we are here together in the presence of God, in the presence of his holiness, how have we reacted today? Have we stayed focused? Have we stayed focused? Have we wandered in our mind? Think about the scariness of that. As we are here worshiping God for the hour that we are in this room, the scariness of your wandering mind. Is God not worthy of your focus? Is the creator of all things not worthy of your praise? Is God the sustainer of all things not worthy of your reverence and adoration? I feel he's worthy of that. And so for us now, the application becomes, what level of focus am I bringing to worship? What level of focus am I bringing as I approach him in prayer? Am I approaching him in prayer in a a flippant kind of way? Am I approaching him in prayer in a vain kind of way? Jesus himself will talk about that, even in the Sermon on the Mount. When I'm approaching the very throne of God in prayer, as Jesus, through his sacrifice, has made God approachable to us, and that we can go to him with boldness and, and courage. How are we doing that? Are we doing so with praise? Are we doing so with reverence? You see, when we think about the holiness of God, his absolute goodness, his absolute light, we have to think about these two points. Our relationship with him versus our relationship to sin and my reverence and praise to him. Now, two simple applications, but two strong points to consider. And for us this morning, as we 
leave this week, I'll encourage you, I'll encourage you to be considering the holiness of God. Because we've made reference to it in a couple of passages that we've read already this morning, and other places make reference to it. But Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we'll take that next step as we are directed to God's holiness, thinking about our own holiness, the relationship that that has together, as he calls on each and every one of us to be holy, for he is holy. What does that look like? What does that mean? What will help is meditating upon God's holiness this week. So I'll encourage you to do that. You meditate, meditate upon God's holiness this week. We'll meditate upon our own in the week to come. Kayla's going to lead us in a song of invitation. It gives us an opportunity to be thinking about our relationship with God. We've done a lot of that already. We've thought about that relationship. We've already made the point that sin separates us from God. We read that passage in Isaiah chapter 59. We read that passage from the psalmist. Sin separates us from God. What an incredible opportunity we have right now to be thinking about that an opportunity that God has blessed us with, an incredible blessing that we have to be considering our relationship with God, to be considering our relationship with sin. And it may be that it is sin that is separating you from God and it is sin that needs to be washed away in the waters of baptism. And you know that that's the case. You know that needs to happen. Let's not put that off anymore. Or maybe you've walked with God. You've been his friend. You have praised him and you have adored him but you've allowed sin to creep into your world. And you've carried that sin with you. As we made the point already, now is the time to repent of that. Maybe we can help with that in some way. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.